are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Mark 12, 38-44 As He taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the place of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. All right, thanks, JC, for reading for us. I do realize there is a certain irony about having been gone for a bit and coming back, and the first Sunday back, the topic is finances. And so maybe by the end of the message, you will have wished I stayed on vacation a little longer. But it's a wonderful thing about studying Scripture, and we have been making our way through Mark since Easter, and that is that we don't set the agenda. This has long been set as the scheduled passage for today. And furthermore, you and I are going to learn that this is about a lot more than money in this passage. But before we turn our attention fully to Mark, let me just share a word of gratitude for those who have served in this pulpit of sorts while I was away. Pastor Sonia Dixon, Dr. Kurt Hinkle, we are incredibly grateful for your ministry with us here at the Y Church. And so if we could thank them together too. We also had a guest speaker join us one Sunday, so maybe you got to catch that. And that was Nijar Mintz from the World Mission Prayer League. And I was so delighted to have you get to know our sister in Christ from India. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, What you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And that is certainly something that we have been blessed with here. Secondly, there's a team of staff and lay leaders here that guide the church spiritually and organizationally. So when one of us is missing, the work of the church carries on without missing a beat. I don't have time to mention them by name, but just want to recognize that we get to serve with a tremendous team, and I'm so thankful for all they've done in allowing me to sneak away for a bit. We have an exciting end of summer ahead of us that I've come home to and plans for the new school year that are going to be a thrill to be part of. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves into the fall, I wake up this morning and I'm thinking, we've got today. I've been reliving the field of dreams since that Thursday night baseball game. And one of my favorite quotes from the movie, 1989, Kevin Costner looked a little bit younger. And it's Moonlight Graham who says in the movie, you know, we just don't recognize the most significant moments of our lives while they're happening. Back then, I thought, well, there'll be other days. I didn't realize that was the only day. So we've got today, and in the Lord's providence, He has you here. He has me here. 
and Mark 12 in front of us. So we're closing in now on these later chapters of Mark. And ever since chapter 10, we notice that Jesus has been speaking increasingly about money. So in chapter 10, we have the story that's called the rich young ruler. Then in 11, we have the money changers tables that Jesus flips over in the temple. Then we have the question about paying taxes to Caesar. And then we get here to the end part of chapter 12, and we have the story about the widow. And yet, it's not so much that Jesus is talking about money as it is he's talking about the kingdom of God. What does life look like for me and you when God is my king and I'm following in his ways? Well, for one thing, the kingdom of God has a different currency, doesn't it? When it comes to money, there is a different value scale going on in the kingdom of God. When we were in Germany visiting Esther's family, we, of course, had to exchange our dollars for euros. Dollars for euros. I can't stand at the bakery and pay for my apple strudel with a greenback. They're going to look at me a little befuddled and say, wie bitte? Or something like that. It doesn't work, right? I mean, I, I can insist, but they can't even begin with that. It's the wrong currency. So Jesus is teaching us about his kingdom and what kind of cash to carry. And he starts this passage off with a stern warning. He says, watch out for the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law were the religious and political leaders of the day. Those two categories were very much intermeshed. Political, religious leaders. And they were way up there on the socioeconomic ladder. They were at the top of the leaderboard. So if you could grow up to be a teacher of the law, then you had made it. That was like growing up to be a doctor or a lawyer or a CEO. At dinner parties, your mom or dad would mention how you just passed your boards or you'd landed the job, or you'd bought that new property. And yet, it's for these characters that Jesus reserves his strongest rebukes, his gravest warnings, are for the teachers of the law. Not because they were wealthy or or highly thought of. That in itself was not the problem. It's because that's what they lived for. He says to his disciples, watch out. For they love to wear their flowing robes. And he's not talking about bathrobes, as you and I are familiar with. He says they love to be greeted by title when they walk in the room. They love the front row seats and the best restaurants in town. And yet, verse 40, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. They were, in short, religious hypocrites. They preached the Bible, but they didn't practice it. Exodus 22, they had that, where it says, do not take advantage of widows or the fatherless, but they would crush a widow's house if it could mean that they would gain a little more standing. They would pray long, impassioned prayers with big words and eloquent phrases, but it was all just hot air, pomp and circumstance. And so it's a sobering word when Jesus says, these men will be punished most severely. May God protect us from this kind of hypocrisy. 
And when we read these sobering words, may each of us search our hearts to see if there is any way in us that would coddle this kind of counterfeit kingdom. So there's Jesus. He's in the temple. He's teaching across this whole scene in Mark 12 here. And he's warning his disciples. And in verse 41, it says that he goes to sit down near the treasury where people would come and they would give their offering. Now I want you to be able to to picture this as clearly as possible. So I'm going to describe it to you briefly. And I found this little model that is an attempt at, at a scale. And I'm going to describe a little bit of what you see there. This was the centerpiece of religious and social life in Israel. The temple was an enormous structure. The temple at Jesus' time was the one they'd call Herod's temple or the second temple that he rebuilt and did so in even grander fashion than the Old Testament. Construction lasted, we know, at least 46 years. For some construction workers, that was the only job site they ever knew. It was on a 36-acre campus, the Temple Mount, 30 football fields put together. And archaeologists cannot quite figure out still today how on earth they moved the stones into place for the surrounding walls. The small ones were two to five tons apiece. And the largest stone in the western wall, so if you're there with us in the spring, on our Holy Land trip, and spots are still available. You can sign up. You get to see this stone. It is 44 feet long, 11 feet high, and 15 feet thick, 570 tons, moved by men without a machine. And so you can see why it would have kind of irked people when Jesus said in another part of the Bible, tear down this temple, and I'll rebuild it. I'll raise it in three days. The temple itself measured a thousand plus feet on a side. It stood ten stories tall and was made entirely out of dry construction. That means there's not a drop of mortar that was used. It is all held in place by the sheer weight of the stones. And this was the place that life revolved around in Israel. In Jerusalem, this was the epicenter of activity. And people would come from all over the country and beyond just to visit the temple or to come and pilgrimage. And when you'd arrive, maybe it'd be like showing up at the mall and you've got to find one of those directories, you know, so you can see where's what and how do I find my way around. And when Jesus sits down near the treasury in our passage, we know that this was the really busy thoroughfare and it was called the Court of Women. It's called the Court of Women not because it was the only place the that it was reserved for women, but actually it was the only place that women could go. So beyond that, you had to be a Jewish man, and there would be gates and curtains and all those kinds of things. And beyond that, then you had to be a priest, and beyond that, you had to be the high priest and all the way to the center of the temple. There was always a gate separating one space from the next, and that's why it's so significant. You know, when Jesus says, I am the gate. Or in Romans 5, 2, when Paul writes, Through Jesus, we have gained access by faith into this grace into which we now stand. The curtain, when Jesus dies on the cross, is torn, if you remember, in the innermost part of the sanctuary from top to bottom because God 
has given you access through Jesus to a direct relationship with him. All this to say, the courtyard of women was a bustling place in the temple. It's where you would go and people watch. And especially if you could park yourself near the treasury. The treasury was a series of 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles. Sounds like almost out of Dr. Seuss or something. 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles. So I want you to imagine a brass trumpet bell facing up in the air, and you would throw your money into that bell, and it would funnel it down into the chest below. Now, one of the side effects, of course, of this kind of design was that it amplified the noise of the money being thrown in. Have you ever taken all those coins that you have stored up and you've taken them to the bank or one of those places where they have the machine that counts coins? And if you've got a lot, you get to pour those coins in it. It almost sounds like a lawnmower has gotten loose inside of there. And everybody turns to look. And the longer you stand there and your coins are getting counted, the bigger your eyes are getting. That's the way it was at the temple treasury. That kind of dynamic. Lots of money made a lot of noise. And everybody would stop to look. Now at the temple treasury, every Jewish man was obligated to pay the temple tax when they came in. And that was a silver half shekel. Anything beyond that was a free will offering. And that's where the story points out that many rich people threw in large amounts. Now my grandpa Dixon died when I was about 10 But I still have a number of good memories that I carry with me from time with him and my grandma near Battle Lake. And I remember, I did check this memory with my parents this week. I remember that when we would go to church, my grandpa had a specific way of folding a bill so that you couldn't see the numbers on it. And that is the way, without saying a word, he would put his offering into the offering plate. It was just this simple practice of modesty and discretion. But keep in mind, in Jesus' day, they didn't have that option. There was no paper money. There was no e-giving. You could not do your donation by credit card. It was all coins, all of their currency. So if you were giving a lot, those were big coins made out of gold and silver And they would clang down the trumpet spout for the whole world to hear. And maybe you were giving an especially large gift. And so you would be parked in front of that receptacle for some time making this large donation. And this whole thing, of course, could be made into quite the show, as you can imagine. Which was exactly the point. And that's when Jesus sees someone who no one else sees and certainly no one else hears, make a gift. It's a poor widow who's come to give her offering. Now, if we know the social structure of the Bible, you know, to be a widow at that time just left you in a really bad and vulnerable spot. That was bad enough. And yet the text here adds that she was a poor widow, as if to say this woman was hanging on by a thread. But here she has come to the temple treasury, not obligated to give anything, but there to give a free will offering. 
And it says that she deposits two very small, you can see all of these words matter, don't they? Two very small copper coins. And the word that's used there is lepta. Lepta were the coins that were the smallest denomination of currency in use. They were less than a centimeter across, worth next to nothing. Earlier this summer, I was with my kids walking by one of those fountains where you see the coins in there and and people toss coins in. So I fished in my pocket for some change. And what kind of coins do you think I was looking for? Pennies. Maybe you're a little bit more generous, but I was going to keep the others. I thought, well, the kids could have a penny to toss in. And I wonder if you saw the announcement earlier this spring that the U.S. will stop making pennies in 2023. On April 1st, 2023, the last set of U.S. pennies will come out of the U.S. Mint. And the reason they're going to stop making pennies and you and I will stop paying in pennies is the high cost of production and the pennies decreasing value. Go figure, it now takes more than one cent to produce a penny. (laughs) So this poor widow drops in the equivalent of two pennies. Not enough to even hear the transaction above the bustling noise of the treasury. No one notices, no one sees, except Jesus. And the moment is so moving to him that the text underlines it in two ways. First, it says he calls his disciples over. As if there's this teaching moment that they can't miss. And secondly, he begins by saying to them, Truly, I tell you. Which is Jesus' way of saying throughout the Gospels, pay careful attention. This is authoritative teaching. And he says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. To which I imagine these disciples listening in around Jesus must have met him with rather confused looks and wrinkled brows. Because what Jesus has just said does not make sense. I mean, they've been sitting there, people watching, and watching the wealthier folks roll up in their Teslas and sports cars outside and do the valet parking outside the treasury and then come in and give these lavish amounts that it sounded like the jackpot at the casino had just been hit. How is that less? I mean, $10,000 is greater than two cents any day of the week, right? Unless we're talking about proportion. You see, because two cents out of two cents is a factor of one. 10,000 out of 100,000? It's a factor of a tenth. Jesus says, they all gave out of their wealth But she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All that she had to live on. 
See, what Jesus is teaching us here is that God's kingdom, how accounting works in heaven, is not concerned with the size of the gift, but with the heart of the giver. And what matters in God's sight is not what a person has or is able to give without pain. What matters to God is our devotion to Him, that we have surrendered everything. This widow, though financially poor, was filthy rich in what really matters. And she is free to give at great personal cost because she has already given God everything she has, her whole heart, her whole soul. You know, you'd have to say that what she does that day at the offering box is either incredibly foolish or incredibly faithful. And Jesus says, it's the latter. You know, think about this. She could have at least kept one of those coins, right? Bought some crusty piece of bread for one more meal. But she doesn't. She puts in everything, showing radical trust that God has the ability to provide. And I told you at the outset, this story is about more than money. And now we see it, don't we? This story is about faith and trust and worship. Here at the Y Church, we often remind one another that financial health is really part of our spiritual health. And so our financial reports are not some separate business category in the life of the church. They're part of the composite picture of how we're doing at the heart level. And so that's true of us collectively together. And it's true of each one of us individually. And so today, there is this great opportunity to assess how are my finances lining up with my faith. And I know for my own life, this is an area that can just sometimes slip out of view for a number of reasons. Do you have one of those clocks at your house that just inevitably over time gets off track? And like loses minutes. And you catch it up and you reset it. And a few weeks or a few months later, it's all of a sudden five minutes off again. I'm asking myself as a dad today, when was the last time that I chatted with my kids about our financial giving as a family? You know, especially with online giving, which is a great tool, the act of worshipful giving is usually completely out of view for my kids. And sometimes, really out of view for me. It's automated. Maybe today's scripture passage is prompting you and your family to talk about how we give as followers of Jesus. Or for you as a couple or an individual, you get to look at the example of this widow today and you're one of the disciples alongside Jesus and, and you're looking across and Jesus is teaching us in this moment and you're saying, yes, that's the way that I want to give. I want my heart and my life to trust God like this woman does. 
And as you imagine the scene, I want you to imagine the, the Bible doesn't describe it for us, but what do you think her face looked like as she gave those two coins? You know, when we hear poor widow, and here she is giving all that she has, I mean, we might have a pretty grim picture come to mind. We picture her, and it's, it's almost like pulling teeth, and she's dutifully but regretfully giving in the last of her money in some fatalistic act. But the way that Jesus describes her and commends her, I think she brought in her offering that morning with a face that was glowing. I think she just floated in through the door past all those sports cars. She wasn't walking to her death. She came into the treasury that day with a fixed purpose and a reverence for this task. It was an honor, a triumphant act of worship. My brothers and sisters, when we talk about giving here at the Y Church, I just want you to know it is not a shell game. There's no chicanery going on. We just talk about these things openly and plainly the way that the Bible does. And as a pastor, I have no access to our financial records here at the church so that I can stand before you and look at you and have no idea who is giving how much. That I am under the same authoritative word of God that you are. And so when I speak on these things, I do so out of love. And I ask you these questions for each of us to consider today. Is my giving generous and sacrificial? Is my giving joyful and worshipful? And finally, is my giving a reflection of my trust and love for Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you are the one who has first given so generously to us. The greatest gift of which is your Son. And so, Lord, first and foremost, we thank you for paying for what we could never pay for ourselves and giving us life and freedom and forgiveness at the cross. In you, Lord, we have everything we need. And Lord, we ask that our bank accounts and our spending and our allowance and our property and our retirement would belong fully to you. Lord, it's already yours. And we ask that our hearts would simply reflect that. Lord, teach us what it means to give like this beautiful widow from your word. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.